right. Again, welcome to Cornerstone. If you would, grab your growth guides. I'm sorry. I heard that we ran out, so we'll correct that for next week. But if you do have a growth guide, grab that. Grab your pen. And also, I need my slides, guys. Thank you. Hello. I'm not used to having that there. All right, uh, so again, for those of you that are listening and watching online that might not have caught up at this point, I'm Brian Foreman, and welcome to Cornerstone. If you haven't already, I would encourage you to check in. You can do it by the app, by the check-in cards if you're here on site, or by text uh, online if you'd like to. And that just lets us know who you are and allows you to submit prayer requests so that we can be praying for you during the week. And we'll follow up with some encouragement as you follow Jesus. As mentioned, we are in a series called In It Together, which is on the book of Philippians, uh, the New Testament letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. And if you've been here, you've heard that this is the key verse. It says in Philippians 1.27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And this week I highlighted this above all. It's manas, the one thing. If there's one thing that you're going to take away from what I'm saying, the Apostle Paul says, then do this. You are citizens of the Roman colony of Philippi, but your primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. You are citizens of the kingdom of God, and that requires something of you. That's conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, to be citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. I love going through uh, the, a book like this, and one of the things that I've been learning as I go through this is how significant that idea that Philippi was a Roman colony was. So track with me for just a second. I think of it, I was thinking of it more like, okay, no matter where you are in the United States, you're born in the United States, you live in the United States, you are an American. And so, you know, whether you're in Concord, New Hampshire, or Palm Beach, Florida, or San Diego, California, you are an American. And so that's kind of the way I thought of it. If you lived in the Roman Empire, then you're a part of the Roman Empire. But it wasn't like that. It was very distinct. There were all of these people with different languages and different cultures and conquered peoples, and there, but some spaces, some cities, some regions were designated as Roman colonies. And that was a very different experience. If you were living in a Roman colony, it was like a little bit of the city of Rome, the heart of the capital had been transplanted in a totally different space. So the fact that Philippi was designated a Roman colony meant that they spoke the Roman language. They spoke Latin. They dressed in Latin dress. They uh, conducted themselves as if they were in the heart of the Roman Empire in Rome, even though they were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away in a place like Philippi. And as I reflected upon that, I realized, uh, you know, this, this is really significant. This is really applicable. This is, this is an important message for us to hear. Because if we are citizens of the kingdom of God, then that should make a difference. And so often in our place and time, we identify and rally around and 
and associate ourselves in tribes, even believers, even wholehearted followers of Jesus, we, we find our identity, we find our place in something other than Christ. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, look, you live in a Roman colony, you're Roman citizens, there are benefits and privileges associated with that, great. But don't forget, you have a higher allegiance. There's one identity, one citizenship that is far more important than that. And that is, you belong to Christ. And that should make a difference. Now, why is that so important in our time and place? Our, in our time and place, we identify and find our tribes in so many other things. And so when you come into a circle, you might be wondering, okay, do they dress like I do? You know, is their style the same? Are they the same age? I remember how funny it was to reflect back on it when we started homeschooling because all our kids, all the ages were all mixed up. And when we get together with other families, all the, you know, they interacted with all these different ages. And I remember what it was like for I was at, when I was at school. You know, if you were a third grader, you did not hang out with second graders because that was not cool. Those are just little people, you know, and the fifth graders were definitely not going to hang out with you if you were in fourth grade because that was just not cool. And, and, but we do that. We never outgrew that. Do you realize that? We never outgrew that. We, we, when, we, when we get together with someone, you know, we're always evaluating, okay, are they, are they a Starbucks person or a Dunkin' Donuts person? <laughs> Uh, Are they more likely to watch CNN or Fox? Are they liberal or are they conservative? And we, we figure out, you know, these are my people or no, these are not my people. And especially as we get a time and place, okay, the time that we are entering into with a presidential election coming up and all the pressures that are on our culture right now are designed to divide us designed to have us find our primary identity in something other than Christ. Let's just put it that way. And what would it be like if we as followers of Jesus had that outpost kind of mentality that, that, uh, yeah, we live in the United States. We're New Englanders. We're not Southerners. You know, we, we drink Dunkin' Donuts for the most part. Some of us drink Starbucks. But, but what if the thing that mattered more than anything, the thing that set us apart, the thing that identified us primarily was no matter what else is going on, we are following Jesus. We belong to the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The message is the standard, and the question is, who, what is the standard conduct for those who rally around the standard of Christ? If your primary identity, your primary allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom, then what does that look like for you, and what does that mean for you? What should it look like? And so we're talking about conduct. We're talking about the way that we conduct ourselves. We're talking about conduct becoming. What is appropriate for a follower of Jesus? And here's what I think the Apostle Paul is saying to the Philippian church in this, the core passage of this book. He's saying, since we have a higher allegiance, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. Citizens who are worthy of the gospel of Christ are consistent in their character. They are fearless in the face of opposition, and they are other-centered among one another. 
So what I'm going to ask you to do, what I'm going to challenge you to do as we go through this, I want you to be thinking about this, okay? What about my conduct? You know, hold up a mirror, draw a circle around just you, and say, what other, whatever else others may do, where, where has my standard slipped? Where, where have I found my identity, my allegiance in something other than Christ? And where has my conduct really not been worthy of the gospel of Christ? And then flip the script. Just turn that on its head. Figure out, okay, what can I do differently in, in order that I might find my primary allegiance to Christ, live as citizens of the kingdom of God in the kingdom of this world, and as a result, have a better life and honor God in the process. So I'm going to invite uh, Laura to come on up. She's going to help me with the scripture today. If you want to follow along, again, I've been putting it on the screen so you can do that. Today, I'm going to read from the new, we are going to read from the New Living Translation. Laura is, in addition to a scripture reader, she is the one who leads the women's Bible study here at Cornerstone. So thank you for coming up and reading with me. Go ahead and put that about two. There you go. Perfect. And uh, we are going to start. This is... Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 218. And you read the bold, is that right? Yes. Okay. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only to your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have... Oh, that's me. Sorry. (laughs) You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges... He took the humble position of a slave and was born as, human, as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. 
for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. And I will share your joy. Very good. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there's a lot in here. And it's so relevant and so applicable to our lives right now. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to every person watching, listening here right now. You know the needs. You know exactly where we need encouragement, correction, redirection, uh, a pause, or a prompt. Lord, I pray that you would give that to each one of us today, that your Holy Spirit, who inspired your word, would also speak your word to us in this time and in this place. And we declare our willingness to have ears to hear, for our eyes to be open, and give us, we pray, feet that are quick to obey, quick to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at it together. Again, the main idea is that as followers of Jesus, as members of the kingdom of God, we have a higher allegiance, and therefore we're going to hold ourselves. We have a higher standard to live up to. The first thing that the Apostle Paul does is he says, in essence, as, as citizens of the kingdom, you're, you're going to be consistent in your character. Now, the Apostle Paul was the founder of the church, and they, he had visited the church many times. He was encouraged by them. They were, in, uh, they were encouraging to him. And, but now he's in prison. He wants to return. He doesn't know if he's going to return. And he says, you know, regardless of whether I come or go, whether I'm there or not, I want, you, I want you to be citizens that are worthy of the kingdom of God. I want you to live with consistency of character. He says this two places. He says, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together. In other words, it shouldn't make any difference whether I'm here or there. You should be following Jesus wholeheartedly. You should be living as citizens worthy of the kingdom of God. He, this is in, that's in verse 27, which is at the beginning of this passage. He comes back to it later in 2.12. says, dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. He says, I don't want your character. I don't want your decisions. I don't want what you're doing to be dependent upon whether somebody is looking over your shoulder or not. Character has been defined as what you do in the dark. And it's what you do when nobody is looking. And sometimes it's helpful to, be, to think about, you know, if somebody were looking over my shoulder, would I be saying this, doing this, watching this, looking at this? Uh, he says, that shouldn't matter because 
there should be consistency of character. And he highlights a couple of different ideas within this about what it means to be consistent in character. And I'm going to highlight a couple of them. The first one I want to highlight is the idea that we are unified. We are unified. There are so many things that are trying to divide us and split us up into warring tribes. And he says, no, that's not the way it is for us in the kingdom of God. We are unified around that standard of Christ. Look at it together. He says, standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. I named this series In It Together because as followers of Jesus, that's what we are. What, No matter how uh, many things try to divide us, no matter how many things are trying to separate us into warring tribes, we have to be one tribe, the tribe of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus, citizens of of his kingdom. And this is based on a reality. I like uh, this translation of the same verse. It's the NIV because it pulls out an idea. When we say we, we want to have one spirit, we, we, that's, that's a colloquialism for us. That's, a, that's an idiom that makes sense to us. It means we're kind of in this together. They didn't have that in Greek, which is what Paul was writing here. And so I think that this translation is better because what it is saying is, look, you are in one spirit. Notice how the S here is capitalized. Stand firm in the one spirit. Several years ago, and some of you have heard this story before, when I was doing it, there was a prayer day and all the different churches were getting together. And my, my little segment that I was responsible for was about the unity of the Bible. We were going to pray for the unity of those in Christ. And when I studied that, there's a passage in, in Ephesians that talks about the unity of Christ. And it basically says, you are unified in one spirit. So your job is to protect, to guard, to safeguard the unity of the body. And a lot of times when we think about unity, we think about it's something that we have to conjure up. We have to get it and put it together. That's not the case. The reason that you are unified in your family, whatever relationships may look like, your family because you have the same blood flowing through your veins. That's, that's part of the definition of what it means to be family. You are a part of the family of God because you share in that one spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit of God flowing through your spirit. And no matter what else may separate us, we are unified because we share in that one spirit. And so he's again in Philippians, like he does in Ephesians, in essence saying, because that's the reality, act like it, live it out. You are unified in the one spirit, so don't let anything divide you. Stand firm in the one spirit and then working together, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That's one of the privileges and responsibilities and benefits of being a part of a local church is you get to lock arms with others in the body of Christ to accomplish the mission of Christ. And then he goes on to say, uh, and this is another aspect of this consistency of character, if there's any encouragement, I love this, I love this, uh, uh, this whole section because he's basically like, are you a Christian? Then you should act a certain way. It's like, bro, do you even lift 
up Jesus in, in praise, then you're going to act a certain way, right? He says, if there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any, what's it say? Any comfort from his love. I mean, like, do you, do you know what you have in Christ? Are you, do you, do you, are you loved by God? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Do you share in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Do you even Christian? Then this is how you're going to act. Any fellowship together in the spirit? He keeps on going. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Has this made any difference in your life whatsoever? Then you're going to be unified. He says, then make me truly happy. This is his pastor's heart coming out. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. And that hints at the next aspect, which is conduct that's becoming is an energetic faith, an energetic faith. Now, sometimes we get in trouble with this because we recognize we're right down the line orthodox that you know, there's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. His salvation, his forgiveness is a complete gift. It was purchased by what Jesus did on the cross. It's received as a gift by faith. It is all grace. But there's a tension there that needs to be held and not dismissed. And that is that when you receive that gift, you do something with it. The apostle Paul said, I work harder than anybody else because of this gift that I have been given. And that comes out in this encouragement that he gives in Philippians 2.12. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. In other words, don't just sit on it and, and just kind of drift and let the current take you along. It's like, pursue this energetically. But uh, there's this tension too, right? It's all God's power and grace that is active because he comes back to it. He says, where's that energy? Where does that power come from? Very next verse. And this is highlight. This is one of those verses. That's a famous verse, a good one to memorize if you want to do this. For God, this is one of my favorite verses. For God is giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. See, before Jesus, you might've wanted to do the right thing, but you couldn't. It wasn't in you. We don't have the power in our flesh to do what we need to do to live up to God's standard. But he says, but, but once you get that gift, you've got a power. He changes your desires. He changes your want to. And then he gives you the power to actually do what you want to do. And whose power is it? Is it you pulling yourself up under your own bootstraps? No, of course not. It is God's power. He has power poured his spirit out on you, his power on you, his grace on you. So now your heart has changed. You want different things. And now you have the power to do what you couldn't do before. You can actually do something with those desires. What a shame it would be if God gives us that gift and then we don't do anything with it. So we're unified. We are energetic and also blameless. Now, the idea behind blameless is... Um, our conduct and our character as seen by others. It's the same word that we saw back in uh, um, Philippians 1.9. We looked at it already. It's the same word that's used of the sacrifices that were brought to the altar. They had to be blameless. You couldn't, you couldn't bring your cast-offs. You couldn't bring diseased or, or injured animals for a sacrifice. They had to be blameless. They had to be without spot. 
And so he's saying, look, if you are living as a citizen worthy of the kingdom of God, you're going to be blameless. You're going to have good character, and that character is going to be known. He says, and this is interesting because um, I pointed out in the growth guide, so if you haven't read that, go back and look at it later. There are so many echoes of other scriptures in the Apostle Paul's writing. And here he's very, very obviously echoing Moses' farewell speech to his people at the end of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 32. And the, the contrasts and the parallels are really fascinating. Here, Moses is coming to the end of his life. The whole book of Deuteronomy is just one last farewell speech, reminding the people of what's important, encouraging them to choose the right way. And the Apostle Paul, here he is in prison. He knows very possibly he could be coming to the end of his life. And so he's kind of putting himself in the place of Moses and saying, you know, this this could be my farewell speech to this church that I planted, that I love, that I care for. And so what do I want to say to them? And in the passage in in the Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, it's actually kind of discouraging. He's like, I really wish that you would choose the right way, that you would follow God. He's been so faithful. Faithful to you, he's rescued you and redeemed you. But man, your track record, I'm paraphrasing, your track record is not giving me a lot of encouragement, right? I mean, you're, you're complaining and you're arguing and you, uh, I just know that's what's gonna happen once I'm gone. He's really kind of pessimistic. Uh, but, but it's interesting. Here's the Apostle Paul and he's echoing those words using some of those same phrases, but he has a totally different perspective. And I think that's because of Jesus, what he just wrote there. It's like, you know, I want you to do the right thing. I want you to live in a way that is becoming, and, and God's power is right there so you can make it happen. And so he says, do everything, everything without complaining and arguing. It's like, uh, Moses is like, you're just always doing this. And, and Paul is saying, you don't do this. This is, this, this is conduct unbecoming. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. That's the way the New Living Translation translates that word blameless. There's nothing to criticize. You know, you conduct your, your life in such a way that people, look, they may not believe what you believe. They might not go to church like you go to church. But the, when they look at you, they, they, it's hard to find anything to complain about. No one can criticize you. And then he talks about purity, and this is how the New Living Translation handles that. Live clean, innocent lives. In the, one of the earlier messages, when we looked at pure and blameless in Philippians 1.9, I told you about the two words that, that could be, form the basis of this idea of pure. It's like something that's brought into the sunlight and or something that is a sieve. It's straining out. It's driving out uh, all of the impurities in your life. Live in such a way that you don't have to worry about what you're doing showing up on the front page. If it did, it'd be boring or it'd be good. That, that's, the way, that's the way you want to live. And, and live in such a way that you're not hiding in the dark. There's nothing that you wouldn't be afraid to have brought into the sunlight. And do this whether I'm here or not, he says. Live in such a way that your conduct is consistent. All right, we'll go through the next ones a little bit more quickly. This Remember, since we have a higher allegiance, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. Citizens worthy of the gospel are consistent in their character. That's what we were just talking about. They're also fearless in the face of opposition. Now, notice that that does not say obnoxious in the face of opposition. It doesn't say unpleasant in the face of opposition. It doesn't say arrogant in the face of opposition. It's a fearlessness 
Here's how the Apostle Paul describes it. Not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. You don't cower in fear. You have a, a quiet confidence. Uh, it talks about it this way. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. It's not like I know better than you and this pride and arrogance that is repulsive. It's more of a quiet confidence. It's like, you know, I know whatever comes my way, whatever suffering, whatever opposition I might face, I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm in God's hands. And it's going to be okay. We've talked about that a little bit already. And, uh, and just so that you know, this isn't some kind of Christian triumphalism that, you know, oh, we're going to get those guys. We're, it's, it's more, yeah, I'm going to suffer. I may even die. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. But I know everything's going to be okay. And really, that's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Next verse. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. What's he saying? It's like suffering, opposition, difficulty, challenges, trials. These are just a part of what it means. Look at Jesus. You think you're better than Jesus? You think you're going to be able to escape it better than he? No, it's just a matter of, it's, it's just what it means to follow Jesus. And, and I like the progression. He's like, you know, you've been given the grace of God. You've been given the privilege of trusting him, but you're also going to suffer like Christ. And oh, by the way, that's what I'm doing. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, Paul is saying, look, Christ suffered. That's what it means to follow Christ. Look at me. I am suffering. Guess what? You're next. Uh, and now you hear that I still have. It's like, this is just what it means. But what you're doing in the midst of this is in the face of opposition, in the face of difficulty, in the face of trial, in the face of unfair circumstances and, uh, and opposition, you're still accomplishing your mission. The next verse says, uh, talks about holding fast to the word of life. There's, I think there's a better translation of that because it can also be translated as holding out, holding offering the word of life. The Amplified Version brings this out when it says, holding out and offering to everyone the word of life. And, and, and this, again, should inform our, our approach to people who are in opposition, that don't believe the way that we do, that are opposed to us. He's like, you know, you're not going to be fearful, but you're not going to be obnoxious. You're going to recognize it's just a part of what it means to follow Jesus. And in the midst of that, you're not going to keep it from accomplishing your mission. Even in the midst of those who are holding something over you and against you, you are going to hold out and offer to them the gospel, the word that brings life. And so that's why every time when we get together, I offer an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. What does it mean that we hold out the word of life, offering the word of life? It means we tell you the story of Jesus, who he is, what he did, and what it means for us. Who is he? He's both God and man. Fully God, fully human. What did he do? Lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died a death he did not deserve so that we could receive forgiveness and grace that we could never earn. And when we say yes to that gift and yes to his lordship, that he's the king, that he's the boss, that he gets to call the shots in our lives, we're the followers and he's the leader, then we get new life. We have the privilege of believing in him and also the privilege of suffering for him. And so again, the Apostle Paul is, is echoing the, um, 
Old Testament scriptures that were so much a part of him. He says, so that in that day of Christ, when Christ returns and a curtain is drawn across history, I will have reason to rejoice. There's that theme of rejoicing again, confidence that all will be well. I have reason to rejoice greatly because I did not run my race in vain nor labor without result. I didn't do this for nothing. You're the proof of that. And even if I am executed here and now, I'm still going to rejoice. Being an element in the offering of your faith that you make on Christ's altar, a part of your rejoicing. Here's the picture that the Apostle Paul is looking. He's thinking of those Old Testament sacrifices, and very often they would offer the sacrifice, the animal on the altar. And, and then in another book in Romans, he talks about how we as Christians offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, not a dead animal, but people living their lives for Christ. And he says, that's what you're doing, Philippians. You're living for Christ. You are offering this yourselves as an offering to God. And my part in it is sometimes after, as they were burning the offering, they would take a drink offering, perhaps wine or something like that, and pour it over the fire and it would steam and it would burn away. And it's like, that's my life. I'm like that liquid offering poured over the altar. And if that's what my life is, is just being poured out on the offer and burned away and steamed away, I'm happy and rejoicing because I'm a part of you and what you're offering to Jesus. And, and, and naturally, because they cared about him, they would be concerned about him. And the idea of him being put to death unfairly would be very troubling for them. But he says, look, I'm rejoicing because of your offering to Christ. You do the same for me. Turnabout's fair play. You must join me in my rejoicing. Whatever you do, don't feel sorry for me. If, I, if my life is poured out as a, as a sacrifice and the offering of your faith, then man, I'm gonna rejoice about that. And you should too. Lastly, since we have a higher allegiance, we're gonna hold ourselves to a higher standard, live consistent in character, we'll be fearless in the face of opposition, and we're others-centered among one another. It's talking here primarily about their interactions with one another within the body of Christ. I think it has application for the way that we interact with everyone. But in this passage that focuses on the example of Christ and quotes that hymn of Christ, that's what we saw in the video at the beginning of today's service from the Bible Project, is how this hymn, this description of Christ and his ministry is kind of the center point and focus of this whole passage. And so leading up to that, he's saying, look, I want you to be unified. I want you to work together. You can't allow yourselves. Others may be divided, but you as followers of Jesus, you have to be in it together. And in order for that to happen, you got to get over some of these petty disagreements. You got to work through, you got to, you got to overcome some of these breakdowns in your relationship. And so he's going to prescribe for them what that looks like. And it's like, basically it boils down to being other centered. It's like, you're not going to act for your advantage out of selfish self-interest. You're going to be aware of what others want and you're going to leverage your life for the benefit of of others. Here's how he describes it. Philippians 2, 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. You know, you're, not, you're not in it for what you can get out of it. You're not in it to make yourself look good in front of others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, it doesn't say others are better than you. It says you're going to prefer others. You're going to act as if what they want is more important than what you want. 
That if you have something, it's not just for your benefit, but it's there for the benefit of others. So leverage it for their benefit. He says, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. What are, what are others trying to accomplish? What do others want to see happen? How can you help them? How can you come alongside and add energy and resources to that? And as he's telling them this, he's saying, look, you can't be divided. You can't allow yourselves to, to uh, split up into warring tribes. You've got to be, be other-centered. You've got to be selfless. You've got to not worry about impre- you know, all those things that he says. And then it, it, it's, it dawns on him. I can, I can see this, this is my, kind of my picture of how this happened. He's like, are we followers of Jesus? This is what Jesus did. And, and then perhaps a hymn that they may be singing on Sunday mornings in the churches that he's in. And he quotes this. And so he's like, look, I mean, the obvious example is Jesus. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And what was his attitude? He was in very nature God, but did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. I love that translation. It's like, he is God. He could do whatever he wanted. But instead, he decided to empty himself of that in order to benefit us, to leverage all of his power, all of his glory, all of his privilege for the benefit of poor, lonely, wretched sinners like you and like me. So instead, he, instead of doing that, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave. And if you follow this, it's... Um, it's kind of like a chiasm. It's kind of steps. There's a, there's a movement to it. It starts out divine power, equal with God, humbles himself by becoming a man. And then not only that, humbles himself to uh, subject himself to death. And not, not only that, but the most humiliating, the most tortuous death known, death on a cross. But because he humbled himself, God exalted him. You see, it's, it's kind of an implicit uh, critique. It's like you're trying to exalt yourself. You're trying to make yourself look good. You're trying to make yourself do better. It's like that's not what Christ did, but look what happened to Christ. As a result, he was raised from the dead, and then he was exalted into heaven. And now he has been given the name that is above every other name, and every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow before Jesus as Lord. Do you see the movement? Christ humbled himself. God exalted him. And that's how it works for us as well. So today we've been talking about conduct becoming. Since we have a higher allegiance, you have a higher allegiance as a follower of Jesus. We hold ourselves to a higher standard we're going to be consistent in character. We're going to be fearless in the face of opposition. And we're going to be others-centered among one another. So in light of that, just take a second and reflect on your life. Where has that standard slipped? Where have you cozied up to a tribe that's really not your primary allegiance? You belong to Christ. What would it look like if we... Uh, you know, it was a big deal. When you walked into a Philippi, you knew you were in a Roman colony. Things were different. What would it be like if when people walked into a church, when people walked into a group of Jesus followers, things were different? That's what we want to look like. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that 
you do call us to a higher standard, but then you also give us the power and the, the desire and then the, the power to do it. And Lord, we want to do this not just for our benefit, not just because following Jesus makes life better and makes us better at life, but because we want you to be glorified. and We want to live blameless lives. We want to be pure and blameless. We want to be unified. We want to be working together. We don't want to be open to the charge of hypocrisy. We don't want to give our lives for lesser visions. So I pray, Lord, beginning with me, that you would show us if there's a place where our standard has slipped, if there's a place where we're identifying primarily as something other than Jesus, that you would help us to live in a way that is going to recommend Christ to others rather than turn people off to Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would receive glory and honor, that we will be a people who love you wholeheartedly, who hold you in the highest regard, that have our primary allegiance to you, and live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have a great week.